All right, good to see you all. Um, just to remind you, uh, this book, it's, uh, it's basically uh, five years, no, it's, uh, it's the last five years of prophecies for, for Great Britain, I believe God has given me or compiled into one book. So if that's of interest to you, there's some at the back there, hopefully. Um, okay, so I've been carrying on with the Tabernacle of David, and today we're going to look at actually about worship. So I need to make clear that these notes, like last week and this week, were written seven years ago. So if anyone thinks I'm trying to make a point or anything, I'm not. This is what I've written here seven years ago, so, so don't take it personally. Um, and last week we looked at things like uh, how David got it wrong when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and uh, how spiritual renewal and revival should begin at home. Uh, and then today we're going to look at music and the importance of music and worship in the context of the church, all right? So, um, so it's a Bible study again today, so you're going to have to have your, your Bibles out with you. Um, but I need, to, I, need to, I need to remind us that up until before this time, rather, um, uh, praise and worship was never really a thing for the people of Israel. I mean, they did have dancing and they did have singing, but it wasn't um, a uh, kind of worked-out, constructed thing for the tabernacle of Moses. It just wasn't a thing. So, and all that I've been talking over the last few weeks actually came through Samuel the prophet. And you can see this in First and Second Samuel and in First Chronicles. So all of this stuff came from Samuel, passed it on to David, and David instituted the tabernacle of David. And so we, you and I enjoy praise and worship today, but um, this is all really thanks to the tabernacle of David. And I'm going to share some stuff today that the things that they operated in that you and I are quite clearly not operating in. I don't mean that in a rude way. I just mean we're, we're not seeing some of the stuff that they saw there. Uh, there's a few things that you'll be glad we're not seeing uh, that they saw there, and I'll point them out in time as well. So um, basically, music is really important. Music is really important to the church and, uh, and to Christianity. And it's been important throughout all of church history. And, and it's all also important to Jewish history until... The destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, yeah, and so all the Jews, they got together and uh, they decided, why did God destroy the temple? Apparently this is true. And they decided that it was women's fault and it was because they made a lot of noise making worship. So they screened women off and, uh, and then they basically banned worship. And that's why to this day, you don't get any worship anymore in your local synagogue and stuff. Which is a shame, isn't it? Seen as it was David himself that instituted the whole thing of praise and worship. And then to stop that just seems counter, counterproductive. And obviously, the ta- as it, we read in Acts, it talked about the restoration, the end-time restoration of the tabernacle of David being a sign to the Gentiles, an end-time sign. So it's really important that God, I believe, wants to re-establish this. Now, we see it in part in the church today, but I believe there's something big that's, uh, that God wants to bring back into the church through all of this stuff as well. So... The effects of music. Well, everyone got a Bible with them? So today we're going to look at a bit of theology of worship. What I find surprising about the theology of worship, and actually I'm just going to stop just there. Uh, Luke and Becky, do you want to stand up? These two got engaged, is it this week? Yes, so let's give them a big congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Right, Mr. Smooth, like it. Okay, right. So, 
uh, where are we? We can look at some theology of, of uh, worship. And a lot of it, well, all of it comes from the Old Testament, which I find quite remarkable, actually, that the New Testament has actually very little to say about worship. But then I guess it doesn't really need to say much about it because it's, so much of it has already been said. So if we turn to the book of Psalms, and we look at Psalm, verse, sorry, Psalm chapter 68, Psalm 68, not chapter, and verses 24 to 25. Now this psalm was uh, a, a psalm that when the Ark of the Covenant was being carried into Jerusalem, that's what they read when they reckon this was written. And there's some interesting things here. Uh, it says, your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my king, my, my God, into the sanctuary, the singers in front, the musicians last, and between them, virgins playing tambourines. Okay? So if you're a virgin, you can play tambourines in this church, all right? Um, so that means no one should be able to play tambourine. So hang on a minute. Okay, right. So you've got right at the front of the Ark of the Covenant, you've got the singers. And right at the back, you've got uh, the musicians. And then dancing all around the Ark because you've basically got the percussion department, okay? So that's quite cool. So, so you see here already this form of, uh, of, of music. And it's symbolic of bringing in the presence of the Lord. Because the Ark of the Covenant represented the manifest presence of God. From, from an Israeli point of view, if you were Jewish, the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God itself. And so this is a shadow and type for us that tells us as well that praise and worship is essential if we want to bring in the presence of God. It's not, it's, it's not quintessential. It's not the absolute thing that you must do, but it helps. Amen. I'm sure most people will know that, you know, if you're feeling a bit low, feeling a bit down, get the old praise and worship on and it takes you to a different place and you can be sensing the presence of God. Um, we also know from other Psalms, it says God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, his presence manifests when we praise him and when we worship him. Okay, so it's good stuff. Yes. Absolutely, yes, but they're virgins. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no, that's right. The percussionists are absolutely essential. I would like to say... That's right, that bass players and percussionists are normally the uh, often overlooked people, the, the unsung heroes in the band. But basic, without the bassist and without the percussion, the guitarist and everyone else, it's just not so good. All right, got to have that bass. You can pay me later, Matt. <laughs> um, now, here's another thing. If... Praise and worship is really important to help bring in the presence of God. But what most of us think as charismatic evangelicals and modern ones, that if it ain't Bethel, it ain't Hillsong, it ain't anointed. All right? Some of you are probably thinking, I don't think that. I, I can rock with Graham Kendrick and the best of them. But the thing is, is that any kind of style of music can be used to worship God. I've heard orchestral music bring in the presence of God. I've, I've gone to Worth Abbey where it's monks chanting the Psalms. And, and the presence of God in that place was, wow, you know, just really strong. So the style of the music is not important, actually. And this is something that annoys me a little bit. You get Christians that literally fight each other over the style of music. So I know a certain denomination. They hate charismatic praise and worship because it's, it's not built with theology at its heart. And it's not like the good old-fashioned hymns. And how could you possibly be praising God with some of that stuff? And sometimes I would agree with them. Uh, but generally, uh, they, it, people argue over substance and style, but any kind of music can be used to bring in the presence of God. 
I remember hearing uh, John Wimber saying once, I think it was him, he said that there was a, they used to have this lady in the worship band and she couldn't sing a single note in tune. But whenever she sang, the presence of God was really strong. So they would always have her in the worship band. They'd give her a mic, but they'd just turn the mic to zero on the faders. She didn't, well, she knew, everybody knew, but, the, but they knew when she got up there and sang, the presence of God was, really hit the place, you know? And it's important. I, I, I know of people, um, even here, they're not great singers, but when they do sing, the, the, the presence of God really comes into the room. So that's good as well. Because there's another thing that I see in today's Christianity, and there's nothing wrong with this. We should have skilled musicians, I get that. But I would rather have anointing over skill any day. I would rather have someone that sings slightly off key and the presence of God will come when they lead praise worship um, than have someone who is just like really professional. I remember years ago, um, I was a part of this church and they had really, really high quality uh, musicians. And again, there's no, I don't have a problem with high quality musicianship. I think you should have high quality musicianship. But these guys, that's what they did for a living. That's what they thought in the secular world. And they kind of brought that into the Christian world. But their worship was, I wouldn't say dead, but it was just very flat. And, uh, and I remember one day I had to lead these guys in worship. And uh, I had this moment. I said, guys, prophesy on your instruments. And they just looked at me like, they just didn't know what I was meaning. They had no understanding of what it meant to, to actually connect with the Spirit of God in a place of worship. And then actually then communicate something spiritually to a congregation. I used to know one guy. And he would just go out into the congregation with his violin and would just prophesy over people. And it's really beautiful. It's really powerful. Um, yeah, I've had people um, prophesy over me with instruments and stuff as well. Some, some was nice, some wasn't so nice, but it blessed me. Hallelujah. I've told you the story of the shofar that got blasted right in my face. Um, that actually made me cry. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it literally did. I was just overcome with shock because I had my eyes shut at the time when they did it. Um, also, another thing that, that's, that's really important to bring in the presence of the Lord, if you're at home, is to do things like sing the Psalms. Anyone here sing the Psalms? Yeah, there's a few of you. It's good. You should try it. It's just singing the Psalms, because this is the Holy Spirit's psalm book. This is the Holy Spirit's song book. And if it's good enough for him, man, it's good enough for me. And uh, I, I often find when I just even read the Psalms or pray the Psalms or sing the Psalms, uh, the presence of God will turn up in my prayer room quite, quite significantly. And the great thing about singing the psalms is that in singing the psalms, you get to pray twice because you're singing out loud prayers written down in Scripture. So it's a winner, right? Who, who wouldn't want to do that? So this then takes us to the importance that the fact that the worship leader themselves, whether it's a man or a woman, uh, I do believe that they need to be people of prayer and that they do need to be people who um, love God, love the Bible, and, and, and spend time in prayer. And I'm not after, after people who are perfect or anything, but I often find that if you've got people that are experienced in worship and often in there, and this is the thing, you shouldn't do publicly what you don't do privately. I say again, you shouldn't do publicly what you don't do privately. So if you're not already at home worshiping the God and worshiping God and mellowing out and stuff on your instrument, then really you probably shouldn't be up there leading either. If you're going to lead worship, you have to be one that is already in the place of worship. Otherwise, what are you leading people to? Yeah. So therefore, if you want to lead someone, you yourself need to be in a place in God that you can lead people to as well. I think that's really important. 
Um, and I, as I said before, I'd rather have an anointed musician over a skilled one. I'd rather have someone that, that can actually is, you know, is lesser skilled, but just really understands what it's like to be a worshiper. Because you see, we want the blessing of God on our worship. We want the anointing of God upon our worship. And uh, I said about this this morning at the earlier service. I knew a guy, he was a Christian guy, and he sold coffee, all right, of all things. But the guy was sleeping with his girlfriend outside of marriage, okay? And the coffee business just wasn't going quite the way he planned. And God was, where well, he, he managed to open some doors to really significant people in Africa, like political leaders and stuff. And uh, you could see where this could, was going to go if, if, you know, if God was with it. Um, and, and, and everything was just coming to a grinding halt. And uh, no, no pun intended there in grinding, coffee grinding. Yeah, so, so it all came to a grinding, that really wasn't a joke. And it all, all came to a grinding halt, okay? And he was, he was like uh, going on prophetic message boards and saying, hey, I just need a prophecy. I just need a breakthrough in my business and all this kind of stuff. And the prophets were prophesying breakthrough and, and, you know, God will make a way where there is no way. Anyway, I got into the car one night and sat down with him next to him. And he's like saying, oh, Chris, you know, it's just not working. It's just not working out. I don't know what's going on. And I, I basically had to tell him stuff that he didn't want to hear. I said, mate, let's be honest with you, okay? God is never going to bless your business your Christian business, until you get your act together and marry that girl you're sleeping with and honour her and put a ring on her finger. And he was like, I don't want to listen to this and stomped out of his car and stuff. Yet what happened to his coffee? His coffee came in from Africa, okay, paid for it all. And as soon as it landed at Heathrow, they impounded it. No rhyme or reason, they impounded it and he never got a single bean of that coffee ever because he just didn't want to do it God's way. He wanted God to bless his sinful lifestyle so that he could do what he wanted to do, but there was no anointing in it, there was no power in it, and it all collapsed. The good news is, is he did marry the girl in the end and things went all right, but, at the, but the point is, it's a, it's, a, it's a costly lesson. You can't, be, you can't be doing what he was doing. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in, in Christianity if you want to be anointed and you want to lead. This is really important. And it doesn't matter what kind of leadership it is, whether it's leading a home group or, 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 um, or whatever. Anyway, so um, the next thing is music can bring deliverance and can bring healing. We all know the story, or maybe some of you don't, that King Saul, he was king, and David was this young man who played in his harp. And often King Saul was tormented by a demonic spirit. Okay, and so when he got tormented by this demonic spirit, he called David to come and play some songs to him, you know, the latest Bethel tunes or something on his harp, and uh, it basically protected him and the demon fled from him. So let's have some scriptures here. Um, Where are we? So let's look at Psalm 144, verse 1, since we're still in the book of Psalms. Because... Um, one of the things that, again, is not really often talked about in, in spiritual warfare is worship. You know, two, I've, I've read a lot of books on spiritual warfare, and they're all about binding this and loosing this and ta- taking, taking authority over the strongholds in the heavenlies and stuff. But I find two really key important parts or aspects of spiritual warfare are very rarely dealt with, which is one, behave yourself, and two, praise the Lord. That is really good spiritual warfare. And uh, so it says in here, Psalm 144, verse 1, it says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers 
for battle. Now, in the Hebrew, the fingering implies skilled fingering. So it's referring to a musical instrument. Okay, so he's talking about a sword and he's talking about his warfare also being on his musical instrument as well. Okay, so this is really important. We see the shadow and type in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So every time you're feeling a bit down, you're feeling under oppression, you're feeling a bit attack sort of coming your way. Okay, number one, uh, behave yourself. Number two, stick on some worship and start singing and praising and declaring the truths of God's word over yourself and declaring truth to the, to the father of lies and start singing and praising. That's warfare. Devil does not like it when you start praising him. In fact, I've, I've, out of everything that I've ever tried in my life, okay, when it comes to spiritual warfare, one of the things that I find really annoys demons more than anything else is a bit of praise and worship. Seriously, when I was going through bad time with my heart and stuff, as soon as I'd start singing worship songs, everything, all the, all the monitors and everything just, just came straight down. Praise and worship is real. Praise and worship has an instant and a dynamic effect. So, so use it, all right? Because it's, it's easy. Anyone can do it. Hallelujah. So, and then we come to another scripture now, which is in 1 Samuel 16, 23. First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23, which I just said this a minute ago. It says, And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So that's the power of worship. Now, again, David was an anointed musician. It wasn't just, a, it wasn't just a regular Joe. He was someone that was, had the heart of God. So that's why he was called to do the job and not just Joe blogs up the road who's really good with a harp. Okay? It's, it's, it's someone that has the heart of God so that when they play on their instrument, something of heaven, something of God is released into the atmosphere. Amen? And that can literally change and it can even heal people, set people free as well. So... The third thing is music brings the prophetic word as well. Most of the time in congregations, we had a bit today, when the worship's flowing, people will read scriptures, they'll get a prophetic word or they'll say something or share a tongue or something like that. This is completely and absolutely biblical. So if you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. Reassuring sound, that isn't the sound of paper turning. Today's high tech age. <laughs> so, Second Kings three, um, and the verses that we'll look at is from fourteen to sixteen. Now, there's a guy. You all remember the prophet Elijah? Well, this is kind of like Elijah's gone now. He went up to heaven, and we got Elisha who took over. And this guy's got a double anointing. All right, he's got a double portion. So it's interesting to see what this great mighty man of God has to do to kind of get the prophetic flowing, seeing as he has this double anointing upon him. It says in verse 14, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, uh, were it not that I have regard for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, uh, I would neither look to you nor see you, because Elisha doesn't like the king of Israel, but he loves the king of Judah. Uh, But now bring me a musician. And when the musician played... The hand of the Lord came upon Elisha, and he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make these, uh, this dry stream bed uh, full of pools, and off he goes and prophesies. So he basically needed a little bit of music. 
Get him in the mood. Get him in the zone. Okay? So if you like to flow in the prophetic and it's not happening and it's not working some days, you know, just whip out the, uh, uh, I don't know, song select or something. Just whip out a song and just start playing a bit of worship. Or if you're a musician yourself, just start playing and stuff and just start worshiping God. And then from the place of worship, the Spirit will just start to overflow and you can start to prophesy. Amen. It's really important. We need the gifts in the church. And music is really important to get those gifts flowing. Okay. We need people to be prophesying at church. Okay. Now listen, when you come to church on Sunday, this is not what I want you to do. Oh, it's church on Sunday. Right? This is what I want you to do. When you come to church on Sunday, it's, I'm coming to church on Sunday. Lord Jesus, what do you want me to bring to church today? Amen. Bring your handbag. No, I'm, I'm thinking something prophetic. What do you want me to bring to church today? And, and if you come expectant that God will speak to you, or come at least with hearts that are prepared for God to move over you, amen? Because some of you here have been through some incredible moves of God in the past. I know who you are. I'm not going to pick you out. But I would say to you very gently, very kindly, please bring something of what you have learned and what you have experienced and please bring it into our congregation. Amen? Bring it. We need it. All of us, we need it. Also, many gifts of the Spirit are often released during times of worship as well. It's not just things like the gift of prophecy. It can be things like the gift of faith. It can be the gift of healing. Um, spiritual gifts like tongues and interpretations of tongues, etc., can come out during that time as well. So again, I really want you to, to be encouraged in that. So I, you know, when you're in a time of worship and you're really like feeling the Holy Spirit, saying, Lord, is there anything you want me to say? Is there anything you want me to bring? Because you are individual members of the body and everyone has a responsibility to contribute to the body so that we're all edified and we're all built up in our most holy faith. Amen. Because, you know, you might have a word that you're kind of sat on that might be just what someone over there really needs to hear right now. You know, it's important. So when the worship is flowing, start asking those questions. Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything you want to say to the congregation? Is there anything you want to do here? Hallelujah. Um, now, what's interesting as well, and you'll, you'll notice this if you read First, Second Samuel and First Chronicles, that it was the prophet Samuel that trained up all these musicians, not King David. Prophet Samuel gave uh, all the teaching about this prophetic stuff to King David, and then he turned it into what then became the Tabernacle of David. But this wasn't David's idea. This was Samuel's idea, the prophet. So this whole thing that we've been studying is a prophetic move of God from the beginning, which I think is utterly amazing. So on to part four. Anointed music helps bring the conviction and the flow of the Holy Spirit. You know, you get... uh, if everyone's done it. Billy Graham, you know, when he's doing the gospel appeal, he's got the guy on the organ, isn't he? Playing some like gentle, beautiful hymn. Because music is powerful. Music is emotive. And some people say, isn't that manipulation? It's not manipulation because music can't make you do something you don't want to do. But what music will do is it will create an atmosphere and it will cause your emotions to, to move with it. Now, Hollywood, they've gotten onto this pretty well. Okay, Christians need to get on with it as well because Hollywood, they know how to use music, right? I was watching this thing the other day because I'm a bit of a saddo on, on, on YouTube. It came up and it was like um, one of the, the most perfectly choreographed um, and directed scenes. And it was from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, right? Yeah, I know, just bear with me, right? So, 
So you had the USS Reliant with Khan on it, and he's coming to attack the Enterprise with Kirk on it. And so you've got all this different... So when, when the Enterprise appears, you get a different theme of music. And then when Khan appears in his USS Reliant, there's another more military war-type music. And it's building you up. And then you get these quick sots between two ships, and it's building closer and closer. And then you get the big whap when suddenly the Enterprise gets this laser cut right through the side of it and stuff. And it's using music to draw you in, to get you emotionally entwined into the action so that when the big punch comes you feel it you're like as shocked as the people in the film are shocked when they get hit and that's what music does and so the same with when we're using music in in, in the context of the church we want to use it to not not to control manip or manipulate emotions but use it to prophetically to help people emotionally respond to what the spirit is doing so if there is an altar call for example it's nice to have that kind of nice music or that very soulful music. That just, it just allows the people to be more receptive to the spirit because it's just flowing through them and it's creating an emotional response for them from them. And, you know, all the greats, all the great preachers, uh, not all of them, but many of the great preachers that you probably think of, they actually have worship as a key component when they're calling people forward to receive the Lord. So uh, it's something that needs to be done. Um, so let's uh, have a look <laughs> um, at some things that you do and don't want to see in your local church. So this is the power of prophetic music here. So if we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now what I find amazing about all this is this is in your Old Testament. This is not in your New Testament. It's your Old Testament. So 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verses 5 to 13. We won't read it all. I'll just read a few highlights. 1 Samuel chapter 10. And it says, uh, from verse 5, it says, uh, this is Samuel speaking to uh, Saul when he was younger. It says, after you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, uh, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And if we now move down to verse 10. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, Who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Interesting spiritual principle there. They start in the high place. They come down out of the high place doing some praise and worship and prophesying. Then, then people start to prophesy when they encounter the presence of God. Saul then encounters the presence of God and prophesies and then he goes up into the high place. Amen. There's a spiritual principle there. Praise and worship is a really important tool to help get us into the flow of the things of the Spirit and to enable us to come into a higher place in the presence of God in our lives as well. But then there's some things you probably don't want to happen in your local church, uh, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 19. This is when things go wild with the spirit of prophecy. When charismatics went too far. 1 Samuel 19, 20 to 24. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. So this Saul's grown up now. He's a, he's a powerful king and he's trying to get David. It says, and then Saul took, uh, sent messengers to take David. 
And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time and they also prophesied. So it's like, right, this quite clearly isn't working. I'm going to get the job done myself. It says, then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, <laughs> is Saul also among the prophets. Now, how would you like to go to a charismatic meeting where the Spirit of God is so strong that everyone just rips off their clothes and prophesies from dusk till dawn? No thanks. Okay. Also, the worship leaders, the musicians themselves, can also bring in the glory of God into the church as well. Uh, for this, you go to Second Chronicles chapter 5. I know I'm going through a lot of scriptures, but I want to show you that actually the Bible has a lot to say about worship and music and, and all these kind of things. It's good to put it all in just into one big context. So 2 Chronicles 5, verses 12 to 14. It says, all the Levitical, so this is now the time of Solomon's temple. So David's tabernacle is now finished. Solomon's built the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is now put back into the temple now, or the, back into the temple. And all Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. So now, all of this stuff David has instituted, and now this has now become the new worship norm for Solomon's temple, okay? And it says in verse 13, And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, the trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord. And they said, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So again, the musicians were instrumental in bringing in the glory of God at that time. I mean, you know, who would want to see that? I read this once wonderful book, what's it called? It was called They Told Me Their Stories. And it was written by, uh, it's, it's quite an old book now, but it was written by people that had, when they were children, they were alive during the time of the Azusa Street Revival. Okay? So they would say things. They said, we were in these Pentecostal meetings in Azusa Street. And he said, sometimes people would start singing, and they would start singing in tongues, start singing in the Spirit. And a huge column of fire would burst out from the building, go up to the sky, and then from the sky, right as far as you could see, another column came down from the heavens to meet it. And they said, in those times, the glory of God was so thick that the kids used to play hide and seek in the Shekinah glory of God. They said there was this glowing mist that would just come around the church, and the kids would literally just run in and out of it because you couldn't see them when they disappeared into it. And they'd play hide and seek in the glory of God. How awesome is that? Imagine that. No more Sunday schools. Have your kids running in and out the glory of God. I mean, wow. You know, and you're in this environment where you're just literally breathing in the glory of God. That's fascinating, isn't it? And that's really what we want to see again. 
These are things that have happened in church history, and I know God wants to bring them back again. But the thing is, if you're not even aware that these things have ever happened, you're not expecting, you don't believe for it. So, you know, you've got to believe that God can do more than you think he can. Got to, got to really, you know, it doesn't matter if you hit low, but I find that the higher you aim, the higher you end up getting. Even if you don't always get what you're aiming for, it's better to aim high. Give you an example. This is the opposite way around. I went to America once, and this guy, he said, "Hey, Chris, you want to come to the shooting range with me?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" I was like, "I didn't say that." I was like, "Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Um, go shoot guns." I'm not really a gun kind of guy. Anyway, so he gave me this gun. It was a Glock, and uh, and, and I, you know, I've seen enough cop movies. So he, he said that there was a target, you know, the man with a big thing on him. And uh, I thought, well, I know that if this gun is going to give me one hell of a kickback, so if I just aim two inches lower. Uh, with my kickback, I should probably get the target. And I, I, did, I pulled off three shots and got the target every single time. Went, <laughs> the guy was like, have you ever done this before, son? I was like, no, it was my first time. And he was like, really? It's like, because I knew that if I aimed at a certain point, I can get somewhere else. And same with the thing spiritually. If you aim high, you may not always get it. But aim high for goodness sake. Don't aim for mediocrity. Because if you aim for mediocrity, what you're going to get is so much less than mediocrity. I don't know about you, but I'm so bored of mediocre, boring, average, middle of the road, Western Christianity that really much doesn't really do much of anything good. I want to see the power of God. I want to see the glory of God. I, I don't want people to come to church because there's a clever guy preaching or there's a clever musician. I want people to come to, to church and encounter the living God and encounter his presence and go away changed and transformed. That's what we want church to be, right? Amen. Hallelujah. And so as we realize the spiritual power and influence of music, we can understand, understand why Satan seeks to corrupt it. Now the Bible has a lot and not a lot to say about Satan, um, but Satan, they reckon, was uh, the chief cherub or the chief seraph in heaven. And so he oversaw, because all the cherubim and the seraphim, they do an awful lot of praise and worship. So Satan knows about worship and praise. You know, is that old, uh, who, is it Cliff Richard? I don't know who sang it. Is it devil has all, why does the devil have all the, all the good music? And you see, Satan is, is very good with that stuff. So you've got to be careful what you're listening to. I remember once someone gave me tickets to see a Pink Floyd tribute band. So thanks, I wish I'd heard you before I went. Anyway, so me and this guy went, you know, because we, you know, we, it was only a few years back and I, I hadn't seen any Pink Floyd stuff for years and I do remember listening to when I was growing up. I was like, oh, well, it's free tickets, it'd be good luck, be a laugh, wouldn't it? Anyway, so we went along, we were sat there all, all excited. By halfway through the concert, we were like, oh. by the time we left, it was just like, wow, man, that was really heavy. I was just so depressed. And I remember one, one girl, when, when I first got saved, she, she's really wrestled with depression because she just listened to Pink Floyd and stuff. And so, you know, she had to get some counseling and prayer and she stopped listening to it. And she was fine after that. So you've got to be careful what you're listening to. I've seen music with a satanic anointing on it. We all remember the Beatles, right? Mm. That euphoria that came over people. That is a satanic anointing that would take control of someone that they would start screaming euphorically and not even know why they're doing it. Amen? So you've got to be careful what you're listening to. You've got to be careful that Mr. Devil knows how to make and knows how to, to use music. Yeah? And you've got to be careful who you listen to and who you serve with your music as well. You know, music is something that I think God, well, he wants it back. 
And I think he's going to get it back. And I think, I think we're going to see some wonderful things in the church. I think, you know, I, I was recently at a conference um, and it had some of these guys from Israel and they, they've, they do a thing, a Davidic temple kind of praise and worship. And so they have this kind of, uh, they meet up in their house and they, I think they do this once or twice a week where they just sit there for five hours. Five hours in silence. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Couldn't think of anything worse, right? Five hours. But they don't just sit there in silence for five, five hours. They wait on the Lord. And then someone's like, oh, I'm going to pick up this bit of wood and start playing in it a bit of a beat. And then, I mean, they're all musicians, so they know what they're doing. So then another guy will come up and he'll just start playing a mandolin and then someone else. And, uh, and they'll just have these amazing times of worship. Now, I, I was invited to one of these conferences a few weeks back. I'll be honest with you, the first day I was like, what the hell's going on here? I just do not know. what. Everybody else was thinking the same. They're like, what are we supposed to do? You know, because like, there was no words. No words? What do you do with no words? Well, you should be used to it by now with Zach. Right? There, was, there was no words. Okay? And, and so the first day, I really didn't get it. But by the second day, I was like, I know what's expected of me now. And I tell you, there were some really incredible moments in times of improvisation that went on for hours, okay, and you couldn't get out, <laughs> you were stuck in there. There were moments of impro- improvisation where suddenly it was like everybody all tuned into the same wavelength. And all of a sudden, people were singing and praying and prophesying and, and singing in the spirit, and the musicians were doing something. And then there would be these ebbs and flows, and they would go, quiet and suddenly it would get violently loud and passionate people dancing and jumping around I've never seen anything like it but don't you want that back in the worship as well I, I, I you know we got to worship God in spirit and in truth so you've got to have some sense of structure and David shows that and we'll see that next week the sense of structure in his tabernacle yet there's also the room just to flow in the things of the spirit of God because brothers and sisters that's what God wants us to do this whole tabernacle of the David, of David thing is about coming back to the place of prayer, coming back to the place of worship. But more than all of that, it's about David's heart. And it is about having a heart and a passion for God like no other. That he would make himself look like an idiot, dancing around virtually naked with a linen ephod on, and his wife got offended by it. That, you know, people will look at you and get offended by you because you're just too out there in the things of God. You're just too crazy. I can't stand you. You're too crazy. You're too weird. All right? Hallelujah. Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be crazy for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be mad for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, not for the sake of it. Lord, we want to be sold out for you, Lord Jesus. Lord, and I pray, Lord, we've all got hearts in different places. And I pray, Lord God, you take us where we're at, Lord, and take us on a journey. Every one of us in this building, take us on a journey, Lord, where we'll come to a deeper, deeper place in praise and deeper place in worship and a deeper place in prayer. Lord Jesus, that we experience the manifest presence of God and the glory of God in our very midst every single day, Lord. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. Hallelujah.